when we went to the neurosurgeon, which I went to the leading pediatric neurosurgeon, he took one look at it and said, you know, listen, it's going to be okay. He's like, we go in, we remove the tumor. It was a non-cancerous tumor. You'll be back to school in three, four weeks. Everything will be Mm -hmm. perfectly fine. And so me with my awesome personality, I named the tumor Bob. And so me and my family, we had a going away Bob party (laughs) before I went to surgery. And so we went into surgery. I went into surgery the morning of October 28th, 2003. And that was when, as, as I like to say, that my life both ended and a new life began. Because although the tumor was successfully removed and my life was saved, it came at a cost that no one ever expected. And that was that I awoke from surgery to be left completely blind. Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome back to the True Fiction Project. I'm your host, Renita Hora. And today, my guest is somebody very special. His name is Kevin Lowe, and he is the host of a wonderful podcast called The Lowdown with Kevin Lowe. Now, Kevin believes that everything in this life happens for a reason and a good reason at that. And that's kind of what led him to create this podcast. So, I don't want to over-introduce things, but rather jump right into it. Kevin, great to have you on The True Fiction Project. Oh, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Kevin, you know, I mean, that wasn't a whole lot of an intro. uh, And that's intentional because you have such a great story that I would love to just dive right into it and bring our listeners up to date with what led you to creating this podcast? Oh, wonderful. Well, well, thank you so much. I guess the best place to start is we need to rewind things a little bit. And going back to 2003, at that point in my life, I was 17 years old. I was in my junior year of high school. And life, life was going amazing. I had I had my, my dream truck that I had gotten the year before for my sweet 16. That was a forest green Ford F-150. Um, you know, I, I had four wheelers. I grew up riding dirt bikes and four wheelers and, and out on, on the boat with family on the weekends and life was going really awesome. Until and, and where was this? Where did you grow up? I, I yep, grew up in uh, East Central Florida. Okay. Yes. Yep. So right, right on the coast, literally my, my high school was a block away from the beach and, um, you know, so, so life was great. And, um, until until it wasn't and it wasn't came with the realization that i had a brain tumor mm. and the uh the brain tumor that you know that all came about because i had had some medical issues that had been going on i i wasn't growing i was at, you know at 17 years old i was still only i was only 5 foot 3 had never you know gone through puberty hit my growth spur anything like that plus i had constant headaches and 
and just all these different issues. Um, and so finally, basically it took my, my mom and my grandmother finally getting tired of, of just getting put off by the, the family, you know, the, the pediatrician and got me to a new doctor. That doctor took one look at my chart, one look at me and was like, he needs to go see a specialist immediately. Mm. And so that specialist, he would tell us in his appointment, the first appointment with the uh, endocrinologist, he told us that day, he's like, so he's like, I suspect that you have a brain tumor that has affected your pituitary gland. Now, at that time, we never heard of anybody having brain tumors that just that just, it wasn't anything. Maybe it's just because it was out of our realm, but I never heard of that. And so literally it was just kind of this time of like total disbelief. And um, sure enough though, the the answer would come on a Friday evening as my mom was on her way home from work. And she was actually headed to meet the rest of me and, and my stepdad and sister and all of us at the marina. We were taking our boat, boat on a, a weekend trip up to St. Augustine. And um, she got the call from the uh, the doctor's office. And he asked her, he said, you know, um, listen, he's like, I have the results of the MRI. And he asked, he's like, you know, are you driving? And she said, you know, yes. He said, I, I need you to pull over. Mm. And so she pulled over and he let her know. He said, listen, he said, it's worse than I than I thought. He said, um, I actually have the uh, pediatric neurosurgeon's office on the other line because he does have a brain tumor, a craniopharyngioma. It has completely encased his pituitary gland. It's positioned right in the crosshairs of his optic nerve, and it's pressing against his carotid artery. Oh my goodness! Giving me at most six, giving me at most six months to live if it was not removed. But it sounds like you knew, or they knew, even at that point, that even if they were to try and remove it, that in itself would be a very dangerous surgery. Well, yes, it would. But this was the thing when we went to the the neurosurgeon, which I went to the leading pediatric neurosurgeon. He took one look at it and and said, you know, listen, it's going to be okay. He's like, you literally, he's like, we go in, we remove the tumor. It, it was a, a non-cancerous tumor. He said, we'll remove the tumor. You'll be back to school in three, four weeks. Everything will be mm -hmm. perfectly fine. That was what my answer was. And so me with my awesome personality, I named the tumor Bob. Oh my and goodness. so me and my family, we had a going away Bob party <laughs> before oh. before I went to surgery. And, you know, and so I, you know, it was, you know, I made light of it. And, you know, and, and that's just me and my personality. And and so we went into surgery. I went into surgery the morning of October 28th, 2003. And um, and that was when, as, as I like to say, that my life both ended and a new life began. Because although the tumor was successfully removed and my life was saved, it came at a cost that no one ever expected. And that was that I awoke from surgery to be left completely blind. Oh, my gosh. Now, I, even as you say that, I have chills just going down my spine. 
did you know that this could have happened? I mean, obviously, before you went in for the surgery, they warned you about, they would have warned you about, I would think, you know, possible outcomes are A, B, C. Did it ever cross your mind that this could happen? So in that appointment with the uh, the neurosurgeon, that first appointment, he read over all the possible risks. And there were many, many possible risks. As, as I often joke, you know, there was a sub, something, something, you know, percentage, you, you know, you may uh, lose your leg, even though we're, you know, messing with your head. Mm-hmm. But the very last one, a 1% possibility that you could become blind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 1%. It wasn't even in the ball game. We never, so, it was never considered. It was never considered. So you wake up from the surgery. They're saying that the surgery is successful. What, what are you experiencing at that point? So the, the brain, the body has, has a really amazing way of uh, protecting itself. And for myself, it protected me, I believe, because I have no memory of the time waking up. Um, I remained nothing. Nothing went as planned. I, I literally, I came out of surgery, and it was it was long. I think I was in surgery for maybe like twelve hours, and I came out of surgery, and I remained in the ICU for two weeks. All of my body's endocrine levels were just going haywire. It literally took everything that my family, my entire family was there to do to care for me along with the nurses. And um, and that was that was on top of of the fact that, you know, only, you know, I think maybe a day or I forget a day or two days after surgery is when they finally realized that I couldn't see. And and that came about because it was actually my mom and the, the neurosurgeon were in the room. They were the only ones in the room at that point. And I kept messing with one of those pulse ox machines that, that, that they put on your finger or your toes. Well, mm-hmm. apparently they said I kept ripping the thing off. I would get so annoyed with it. Well, said that the, the neurosurgeon, he was standing there and it was, you know, clamped onto one of my toes. And apparently it had a little red light on it. And he said, Kevin, he's like, do you see this red light? You don't take this off. Do you see this red light? And they said, I said, no, I don't see anything. Ooh. And at that moment, my mom and the doctor eyes both just shot at one another. And the doctor went over and he turned the light switch on and he, he flicked it a time or two. And he's like, Kevin, do you see this light? Do you see this light? And I said, no, I don't see anything. Oh my gosh. And that's how they found out. And, and you don't have any recollection of this incident of No, you know, no. My my memory does not begin until sometime after coming home from the hospital. I had so many medical complications, different things, and so my memory is very spotty, but I like I said it it's my first memories are are, are back at home um being in in bed, I can remember that my my mom had apparently she had put like a little mattress on the floor in my bedroom and, and would sleep in the bedroom with me. Mm-hmm. And and so like I can remember that. Um but but that's it. 
that's it as far as my first memories go. But but I will tell you that from my family who has told me, they said that what always shocked them was that I was never scared. They said mm-hmm. that I never freaked out, nothing like that. And I can tell you that my faith is a big part of my life and a big part of my story. And I will tell you that my mom, she always shares a story that that she said it was soon after we had come home from the hospital. And she said, she finally asked me one morning, she said, Kevin, she said, when you go into bed at night, I hear you talking, who are you talking to? And she said, mm-hmm. I talked to Jesus, that he's always there with me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that is where I can tell you that that in my mind, when I think back to those those days when I can't remember, and they said I wasn't freaking out, I wasn't scared. It was because at that moment, I was I was walking with Jesus. Right. Now, your faith, which has really carried you through all of this, is this something that was there from the outset before all of this happened? Or did it actually come into play during those moments, those darkest moments when your life changed? Yeah, of course. So so I had the foundation of faith. I was I was in middle school around 13 years old when 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 I, you know, became a Christian, accepted, you know, Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Um and and then I mean, we didn't go to church. I mean, my my the biggest influence came from from my nana, from my from my mom's mom and um because you know, we we didn't go to church, you know, on Sundays and stuff. Nana did. And so my my really my influence came from her but but no i mean i i knew who god was i knew i was a christian i prayed but i didn't have like a relationship with god and thankfully for me is i feel like when when we go through tragedies in our life either one mm-hmm. or two things happen if you already have faith is either it gets stronger or you you put up a block and you 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 go against it and you get angry. For mm-hmm. myself, I never I never was angry with God. Instead, I just held on tight to my faith and it just grew so much stronger until you know today, I mean it's 18 years later and I can tell you that, you know, I I've come to realize that faith is actually just a uh, a word meaning a relationship with my creator. And I've been blessed in the fact that through this happening to me, I believe I've been able to to build a, a deeper, you know, bond through my faith than I think I probably ever would have if, if this hadn't happened to me. It's really remarkable to sit here and listen to you say all of this and, and the fact that you know, your family says you never freaked out. When I think about your mother, I can only begin to imagine, I mean, I'm a mother myself, what she must have been going through, and she must have freaked out. And I wanted yeah. to ask, how did she take it? And what can you tell us about her? Yeah, so so I can tell you this, is that it's something that I always try to make clear to people um, when, when I share my story, and I 
And I always, you know, because I'm the one in the epicenter, you know, I'm the one mm-hmm. that it happened to. But as I tell everyone, it didn't just happen to me. It happened to an entire family. Of course. Because because my mom and my dad, their son became blind. My sister, her brother, my grandparents, you know, their grandson. And so my family was all there. And, and you know, my family, and, and that's... I couldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my faith and my family. They're they're my two support systems that 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 I cling to, you know, in the hardest days. And I can tell you, I mean, for, for my mom, I told you, I told you about the time in the hospital when they found out that I couldn't see. It was sometime after that. I don't know if it was that same day or maybe maybe the day after. My mom said that she uh, she was out in the hallway. And she finally just had her breaking down moment. And she literally in the hallway of the hospital just literally fell to her knees, just sobbing. And one of the nurses was right there and, and came over to her. But but this is what's really pretty awesome because the pediatric neurosurgeon, I've never blamed him, not one time. It wasn't his fault. I believe in all my heart that that what happened to me was was supposed to have happened. God, God planned for it to work out this way. And mm-hmm. I can tell you that, and I, I share that little part because I can tell you when my mom was down on her knees, she looked up and, and the, the neurosurgeon happened to be there and he was he was sitting at the desk. And she said she looked at him and he had tears just streaming down his face. And she looked at him and she said, I just... I just didn't expect this. And he said to her, he mouthed, I didn't either. That's just it. Kevin, you were in the epicenter of this, but this affected an entire family, as you've pointed out, but also that neurosurgeon who I can't even begin to imagine what he must have been going through. I mean, we're all told, you know, in our professions, whatever it is that we do, you know, don't get emotionally involved. But I, it's so hard. It's so hard. Now, tell me, you said it's been 18 years. Have you freaked out since then over the course of 18 years? So the there have been, I mean, goodness gracious, I, I can tell you that there have been Many, many nights, countless nights um, in the years afterwards where I have laid in bed at night and I have just cried and I have screamed at God and, and let him know how angry it was because he, he wouldn't heal me. Why did he have this happen to me? But thankfully, the, the true healer when something happens is time. And I can tell you that I had some really dark days. Now, People on the outside, they never saw it. They just saw happy Kevin, who, who's so positive. And, and for 99% of the time, that was the case. But there were times when, when it did come out because it was so, I mean, literally, like I said, I, I compare it to a death because everything that I loved was taken from me as far as hobbies, dreams for the future, everything. And so, you know, I, I, I clung, you know, I, I just, it was such a challenge. And, and the, the only people, though, who ever really saw that were, were my mom, my sister, and my nana. Those were the ones who, who would see me in the darkest times. But I always came back to 
those two things, my faith and my family. And as I share with some people that literally I was in times so dark when, when I would pray for God to give me the courage to kill myself. But I never did it. I never even tried. I never got past the mere thought of it. And I give all the credit to that for my faith is I say that my, my faith is how I didn't do it. And my family is why I would never even try. Because I said, look what they've already been through. And how, how, what am I going to do to them, make them go through even more pain if I leave this earth? Hmm. So, Kevin, why did you decide to create your podcast, The Lowdown with Kevin Lowe? Yeah, so, so that really came about because, you know, what's been really awesome is the fact that by this happening to me, it's opened the door for me to to get to share my story, my testimony, and and I've got to share it in person with with schools. There, there's different schools all the way from from kindergarten and first grade students that I get to go to, and I talk to their class and I make myself out to be this super cool like blind superhero, and they just think I'm so awesome. And then and then to older kids like middle school students who I share my story to them and speak in front of classes. And, you know, and remind them of, of the importance of, you know, to treat everybody just like they're normal, like they're friends, despite no matter if there is something wrong with them, if they're blind or have any type of other, you know, you know, handicap or whatever it is, because we're all just people. And so the podcast really came about as an extension of all of that. And so it gave me this opportunity because, you know, I came to this point as the years went on, and it really, it really solidified this by speaking to to the schools. And I had a teacher one time afterwards tell me that one of the students in that class that day, one of the the girls who was one of the bad kids in class, well, that girl was the most engaged. She asked the most questions, the most deep thoughted questions. Well, the teacher told me afterwards that that student was homeless. Hmm. And so I thought then, wow, maybe maybe what I said maybe could impact her in some way. And so it was really through that that I finally was able to come to this point years down the line when I said to myself and I could say it and, me, and know it in my head and in my heart that if I could help even just one person by sharing what I've gone through, then I believe it makes all of it worth it. And the podcast for me is a way to just do that and reach people that, you know, I couldn't reach just on an everyday basis. And so so that's where the podcast and the podcast started out with with me, you know, really doing a lot of, you know, more solo episodes and sharing my story, which I still do, but it's expanded into me getting to share the stories of other people. As I say, the stories of just ordinary people living out extraordinary lives and all in the hope that somebody somewhere in the world will hear something that I say or my guest has to share and that it can be a benefit to them. So when you say ordinary people living extraordinary lives, 
Are these stories of people who have been through some kind of struggle and, you know, have have come out with a positive outlook or is it something else that I'm missing? Yeah. So, yeah, no, no. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, so basically it's people who have just basically overcome life's challenges, life's obstacles to just create a life that's worth living. You know, and that that is my motto. When I told you about the faith and family, back then I, for some reason, a kid who hated school, I, why why I went back to seventh grade algebra for my motto, I don't know, but I created an equation that it was it was faith plus family equals a life worth living, and because those things for me made me keep living, and so you know, and so that's what's so awesome is is getting to dive into people's stories, what gives them this reason to keep living despite the challenges that they've had to overcome. So it is a lot of people who I interview have maybe suffered some type of disability, or maybe they've just had some really big challenges and obstacles in life, things that other people can probably relate to, and yet they've overcome it and they're thriving in life. You know, Kevin, as you mention it, when I think about so many of our founding values, us as human beings, a lot of it comes down to basically seventh grade algebra, <laughs> you know, because that's, <laughs> that's the starting point where we are all equal. We're do all doing the same thing and then life happens and we go off in different ways on different paths and now I think the writing prompt is already here in everything that you've just said, but <laughs> if you wanted to say anything to the fiction writer, what would it be? Um, I, I, I would love for this character to be, to be super handsome. Um, I think this, <laughs> this character, this character needs to be a super good looking guy. And I mean, I don't know, just some amazing like superhero, I guess. I don't know. No, I don't know. I would, I, I think the premise of this is absolutely fascinating. And, um, so I'm, I'm super curious what in the world they can come up with. You know what I would say is, is I, I would say make it kind of along the lines of how my story is. It's a serious subject, but that doesn't mean that you can't laugh a little along the way. I love that. Kevin, thank you so much. Please let our listeners know where they can find out more about your podcast, your blog, and anything else you'd like to share. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, the, the easiest and best place is to visit my website, which is literally just www the lowdown with Kevin Lowe.com. And so that's where you can find the podcast. You can find when when I when I decide to be a blogger. And of course, you know, social media, Instagram, Facebook, it's all just at the lowdown with Kevin Lowe. Kevin, thank you so much. That's great information. I look forward to listening to more episodes of your podcast and exploring all of your great work. Thank you so much for joining us today on the True Fiction Project. And I am your host, Renita Hora. That was awesome. And now to the premise of the True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction.
Goodbye, Bob. A story written and read by Angelika Sharma. Kevin, Mrs. Lowe, Mr. Lowe, the results of the MRI are worse than I thought. I'm sorry to say Kevin has a brain tumor. Kevin's mother, Anna, gasped. Karina grabbed her brother Kevin's hand in shock. The tumor, which is basically a blob of tissue, has encased Kevin's pituitary gland. It is in the crosshairs of his optic nerve and is pressing against his carotid artery. This explains his headaches and why he hasn't yet hit puberty at 17. Dr. Chen trailed off. That explains why I'm such a squirt. Kevin blurted with a chuckle. That was Kevin, always joker. He used humor to make up for being five foot three and 80 pounds in high school. Kevin's crackling wit, ready smile, and confidence made him one of the most popular boys in Bayview High. His big personality made up for his small size. We have to operate to remove the tumor. That should resolve his growth issue. Brain surgery? Anna asked with tears glistening in her eyes. Surgery is necessary to save his life. The surgery is relatively risk-free. Relatively? What are the risks? Anna asked in a shaky voice. Mom, I want to do the surgery, no matter the risks. I want to grow a few more inches before senior prom. Get Bob the Blob out of my brain, Dr. Chan, blurted Kevin. Kevin's surgery date was set for two weeks later. The following weekend, a hundred people showed up for Kevin's goodbye Bob party. There was music, a taco truck, and a brain-shaped cake. Surrounded by his loved ones, the surgery was the last thing on Kevin's mind. Little did he know that things would never be the same again. As the surgery approached, Kevin's mother redecorated Kevin's room with sheer white curtains so he could enjoy looking at the ocean from his bed. She also hung blackout curtains so he could sleep restfully. A TV and a sound system were installed. She wanted him to have a special space during his month-long recovery. Pacing the hospital during his eight-hour surgery and his four-hour post-surgical nap had been the hardest thing she had ever done. She begged Mother Mary to hold dear Kevin in her arms to protect him and bring him back to her, a healthy young man. Kevin's family spoke in hushed tones as they waited for him to open his eyes. Kevin yanked at the needle in his arm and tried to rip it off. He mumbled some gibberish. He seemed annoyed and disoriented. Annie patted his hand gently, bent down and whispered the rosary in his ear. Kevin yanked at the needle again. Dr. Chen said in a firm voice, No, Kevin, don't do that. You'll hurt yourself. See the red light on your fingertip? When that turns green, we'll remove the IV from your arm. You still need a bit more pain medication and anti-inflammatories, okay? What, what red light? quizzed Kevin. Where? I don't see it. Dr. Chen pulled out his examination flashlight and shone it at Kevin's eyes. Do you see this? See what? I see nothing but black. It's all black. I don't see anything, ma. Dr. Chen moved closer. How about now? Do you sense a glow or a blurred shape? Kevin broke down in loud sobs. No, 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 nothing. It's all black. Annie rushed to Kevin and held him tight. Don't worry, son. It will pass. You will be fine. 
God will take care of you. Grandma Lo left the room quietly. She closed the room door and let out a wail. She held her wooden cross in her hand tightly. Why, God, why? Please, don't do this to my angel, Kevin. The light of our lives. How can he be in the dark? The surgery had a 1% risk of blindness. There was a 1% chance that his optic nerve would be severed. Kevin was that statistic. Blind at 17. Back home. Kevin lay motionless on his bed. He could hear the waves in the distance and smell the ocean. He hadn't spoken for 12 days. The darkness had stunned him into a deafening silence. He had nothing left to say. It felt like he was in a deep, dark, cold, empty cave. He heard his mother rustling next to his bed. She had moved into his room since he'd come home from the hospital. He didn't know if she had just come into the room or if she was moving in her sleep or if it was morning. He concentrated and tried to smell coffee in the distant kitchen, but there was not a whiff in the air. Kevin, honey, do you need to go to the toilet? Mama can take you, Annie inquired. Kevin said nothing. It's 6.30. Time for me to go make morning tea for everyone. Will you go to the toilet now or after I bring the tea? Annie asked. When no answer was forthcoming, she came over to his bed and kissed his forehead. I'll go bring your tea first, okay? I'll make it sweet and milky the way you like it. Annie slipped out of the room. How's my angel this morning? inquired Grandma. The same. But he slept well, I think. No crying last night. Remember to play the chants. I will, Mom. He needs to find his faith again, slowly but surely, sighed Grandma. I won't blame him if he stopped believing, Ma. It's too cruel, his fate. He had his whole life ahead of him. It's not fair. I have no faith left, Ma. Just a rock on my chest, a cinder block of anger and sadness cried Annie. Grandma had no words, just a big hug and tears that soaked her daughter's shoulders. All I know for sure is that we have to love him so much, and we will be there for him every step of the way. We have to love him so much that a ray of light enters his heart. Love and time will heal us all, cried Grandma Lo. Ten years later, Welcome to the show, a very special guest, 16-year-old Gabriela Sanchez, number one in the women's boxing under 110 category. Can you believe Gabby was bedridden for two years with a mysterious brain virus? She forgot how to walk and eat at the age of seven. She relearned everything from scratch and became a champion through sheer grit. Stories like Gabby's give me renewed faith in the human spirit. I, your host, Kevin was blinded at the age of 17. I was angry with God and lost my will to live. But my family never stopped believing in me. They cared for me and loved me so deeply. 
I healed bit by bit. Today, I am living a life of purpose and joy. I am a radio host, a coach, and an entertainer, thanks to the two pillars of my life, the love of my family and faith in my God. I may not see with my eyes, but my heart is bursting with light. I'm Kevin Lowe, and you're listening to The Lowdown with Kevin. Thanks for listening. Here at The True Fiction Project, we are always looking for great stories that make for compelling fiction. So, if you have a great story or know somebody who does, or if you are a writer who would like to contribute, then please do get in touch with us at renita.com forward slash contact. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com. Hold up. 